0: Thank you so much, Lisa. Yeah, like that's its a beautiful song. You have a beautiful voice. And um, probably most importantly, you have a beautiful heart for the Lord. And so thank you for just blessing us with that. Yeah. So if uh, everybody can be turning to John chapter 8, I'm going to open up in a prayer. thank you that you speak to us and, and Jesus, we're going to be looking at both the law and also your mercy, grace, and truth. And we have to just start by saying how thankful we are that um, you took your pun- uh, our punishment upon yourself. And, and you suffered the wrath of God on, on our behalf. And none of us deserve that, um, but it just shows how much you love us, how far you're willing to go to bring Um, your children that were stolen um, back to you, back into reconciliation. So I pray that you'd speak to us this morning, that your words would go forth, and that um, you'd give us uh, your heart, Lord, for um, ourselves, for each other, for the lost, um, for those that are struggling in sin. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So... Oh, yes, so we have a handout up here. Um, Chris, maybe you could take one side and thank you, Pastor Mitch, for passing those out. We're continuing the series of the questions of Jesus. And I was a little nervous to botch this because Mitch has been doing such a good job. Um, and uh, being able to look at these questions that Jesus is asking is um, is something that I think God's questions are always provocative, right? They always He's not asking the questions because he doesn't know the answer. He's trying to get us to think. And so um, the Bible study on Monday nights that that meets here every other week with with some of the men in this fellowship, uh, we've been going through John, and and so it, it seemed natural that we would look at one of the questions in John. So the question is, Jesus asks this adulterous woman that was caught in the act, um, is where are those thine accusers? Or uh, maybe in, in a more common vernacular, just where are your accusers? Where'd they go? They were here a moment ago. Where are they now? And and we're going to get to this question. But I think I, I first want to just start by getting context for the passage. So it's going to be John chapter eight, verses one through eleven, is where we're going to be. And I want to start off by just reading John chapter eight, verses one and two. Am I standing in front of the PowerPoint? Should I move? Let me move over just a little bit. Okay. Okay, so if we could go to the next slide. Um, We got the verses up there for anybody. Um, So we're going to look at um, the judge. Okay, so Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives. And early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. Okay, so the context of this. Um, To actually get context, we would need to talk a little bit about John 7. And in John 7, Jesus had traveled down to Jerusalem. It was the Feast of the Tabernacles, which was a really big deal. And uh, this is where the children of Israel remembered um, the Lord bringing them through the tribulation of the desert out of Egypt, and they dwelled in tents, right? They were nomadic. Uh, the tabernacle was moving with them. They were being guided. Um, but there was a lot of hardship with that as well. But this is re- a remembrance of the Lord's deliverance and the Lord's provision. And so Israel would come together. Um, this was a commandment of the Lord to come down to Jerusalem to do the Feast of the Tabernacles. And it was a multi-day event. And John 7, it talks about the last day, Jesus... The last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus came to the temple, and he was standing, and he was crying out and declaring that from him was living water. So just imagine Jesus in the tabernacle on the great day of the feast, where most of Israel, if not all of Israel, had come, and Jesus is standing and declaring that I am the living water. I mean, he's declaring that he's like the source of God, that he came from God. And it was very divided. Some people were like, "He's this is the Christ." Some were like, "There's no way that the Christ could come out of Galilee," and and he divided like there. You could not not have an opinion of who, who Christ was, and so that happened in, in John seven and and the religious leaders again just were not having it. Were not having it. They were frustrated. They were scheming on how how to crucify or kill. Um, Jesus and to shut down this, this this critical mass, and so we get into to John chapter eight, and I just want to call out a, a few things with just these two verses. Is that this went into the mountain olives after he's standing in the tabernacle and declaring that he's from above? He goes to the Mount of Olives, and this is a really important detail to get context here, because. Uh, at least from my, my word search in, in, in the Old Testament, the Mount of Olives actually isn't mentioned a whole lot of times, but it's, it's clearly mentioned in Zechariah as a place of refuge for the children of Israel, but also a place of judgment for God's enemies, and that God at some point will come and actually split out. And and that there will be a valley, and and that this will be a place of of escape and refuge, but then also a place of judgment for his enemies. This is where Jesus went after being at the temple, standing and declaring at the Feast of the Tabernacles, which was a remembrance of the tribulation, that he's the Lord, okay? That he goes and dwells in the Mount of Olives. And then it says, and early in the morning, verse 2, he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught. So just notice that contrast. You know, in John John 7, he's standing, declaring that he is the living water. But in John 8, he's sitting down and teaching, and all people are coming unto him. And this very much sounds like the millennial reign of Jesus sitting on the throne all the nations coming to them and guess what Zechariah actually uh, prophesies is that in this millennial reign all the nations are commanded to actually come during the Feast of Tabernacles and worship the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and here we have Jesus sitting down in the temple in John 8 it is. Right after seven, as Sam would say. You know? S- seven, days of tribu- you know seven days of tribulation, and, and, and here we go. Um, he's, he's teaching with the commandments. So, so I, I take this time to set this context to just that there's something very special happening here in John 8, with Jesus sitting in the temple. And even his posture has changed from John 7 to John 8. And what we're going to see here is this. Uh, this is key point number one. All authority has been given to Jesus Christ. So your blank is authority. All authority has been given to Jesus Christ who is on the throne. And Jesus has the authority to judge. And we see a picture of this with Him sitting in the tabernacle or in the temple and He's teaching. And we need to know that any issue in life we can take to the King and kings and the Lord of lords. We can... Take that to our advocate, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And He has the authority to actually deal with it in a just way. And that should bring great comfort to us as people. Okay, And we can look at um, some verses. Proverbs 28, verse 8, which is on the PowerPoint. It says, it says, A king that sitteth in the throne of judgment scattereth away all evil with his eyes in the throne of judgment and scattereth away all evil with our eyes. And we have a righteous judge that we know evil will be dealt with in the right way. Revelation 5, verses 13-14. This is a future casting, a future vision of Jesus. um, and, And this is what it says, "...and every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. So with Jesus' first coming, he is not, um, he, he came with a different ministry than what we're going to in the millennial reign. But again, we're getting a taste of this with Jesus sitting there. So we'll move on to verses 3 through 5. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses and the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? And as I'm studying this passage out, I mean, I have to just ask the question of myself: Have I ever been caught in the act? Have you guys ever been in the, like caught in the act of something? There, there's two, there's two, there's two things that come to mind, and I can't go like into detail. When I was in high school, I told Fisher and some of his classmates this uh, just a couple of weeks ago. When I was in high school, I cheated on a Spanish test. I actually had a little. I got I just I got really behind in Spanish and you know like once you get behind it's all building on itself and once all your classmates are speaking full Spanish with the teacher and you don't understand it you're in trouble all right <laughs> So I had a little cheat sheet for it and I used it and this is how I remember it maybe I don't remember it right but I ripped up that cheat sheet after the test and threw it outside in a in a garbage can in the hallway like out and the next day, I show up to class, and I think it was was uh, the teacher's name. She said, "Great uh, Spanish name. Can you talk to me? Sheet." And it was like <laughs> and, and she was like, "I had three teachers verify your handwriting on this piece of paper." <laughs> and, I, and I got sent to the principal's office for that. And the principal was very merciful. But that was a wake-up call for me. And the principal did an amazing job of just giving me perspective of how I was cheating myself, I was cheating the, like, my classmates by doing that. Like, the Lord doesn't let his children get away with things. Like, it's the mercy of God when we get caught. I also got arrested in middle school. My parents had gone out of school, and I had friends in the night, Okay. Like a lot of friends <laughs> like, five, like and, well it wasn't like it wasn't like a huge party, but like yeah, six hundred, <laughs> but we were scheming to uh, go around uh like go across the city or a small town that I was in 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 the middle of the night and go uh visit some friends that were all having like or whatnot, and we ended up getting arrested by the police. And I I could probably tell, like, you know, five more stories, and and there's probably, like, 20 minutes worth of detail, but those are stories I kind of look back on, and at the time, I mean, the world turned dark because I saw my own sin, right? But I also have a couple of stories here just out of my own life that, like, I didn't get caught in the act. And, like, I don't feel comfortable sharing up here with you guys. And, you know, the Lord dealt with me on those sins, and I, I grieved His heart. But as we're studying this out, you know, as we're looking at this passage, I would just ask you to be thinking about, like, what are those, What are those? where have I been caught in the act? But also, what are those things where I kind of got away with it? Or, you know, it's something that is still kind of, like, in the back of my mind, like, it's still kind of, me or haunts me. Maybe it hasn't been dealt with. When this is, in, in, in this passage, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery and she's being brought now before Jesus by these Pharisees. And this is what they say. They say in verse 5, Now Moses and the law commanded us. Okay. So they, they're pointing to Scripture, Old Testament Scripture, and saying this is what the law commands in this situation. All right? I would argue that these are actually... They're biblical accusations. Okay, so let's look at these verses. Exodus 20, verse 10, it says this. And this is on one of the slides. And the man that committeth adultery with another man's wife, even he that committeth adultery with his wife, the adulterer and the adulteress, shall surely be put to death. In Deuteronomy 22, 22 says this. If a man be found lying with a woman married to an husband, then they shall both of them die, both the man that lay with the woman and the woman, so shalt thou put away evil from Israel. So the Pharisees, what I would argue is a pretty serious situation, a woman caught in adultery, and they're saying, look, this is what Scripture is saying, but Jesus, what do you say? All right, And so, I want to point this out. The key number two is that the law, it exposes sin, and it reveals our need for a Savior. The law exposes our sin, and it reveals our need for a Savior. Okay? So, Proverbs 29 says this, Who can say, I have made my heart clean, I am pure from sin? And many of you guys know the the verses from Romans: "For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God." And Romans six twenty three: "For the wages of sin is death." Okay, and we know this from Galatians three, verses twenty one through twenty five: "The Scripture hath concluded all under sin." The law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, and so the the Pharisees were bringing these verses about this woman caught in the act. And the reality is the scripture was doing the heavy lifting of what was to happen. This woman was supposed to be stoned. But this passage also reveals a little bit about their nature, the the accusers, these these religious rulers. Because in verse 6 it says this, This they said, tempting him, tempting Jesus, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. And what we're seeing is that even though these religious rulers, these Pharisees, these scribes, they're bringing a biblical accusation against this woman, their heart, not, their heart is not in trying to get right with the Lord. Their heart is not about getting Israel right with the Lord and leading their people into repentance They're actually trying to take on the Savior, which is not in line with where God is headed, Scripture ultimately is pointing to. And they have a wicked motive, okay? These accusers were actually hypocrites. And and we see this earlier in the Gospels. We see this. Jesus says in Matthew 5, verse 20, to the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious leaders, for I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so they were not the standard. They were not walking in right relationship with the Lord. This is John 5, verses 45 through 47 says this, Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. And again, he's talking to the scribes and the Pharisees. There is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom ye trust. But then Jesus says this, "For had ye believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if ye believe not His writings, how shall you believe my words? So what he's actually calling out here is that you have to believe Moses, you don't believe his scriptures because his scriptures pointed to me. And yet here we see the scribes and Pharisees saying, Hey, Moses and the law say this. So you can see this nature that they have of they're taking Scripture and using it when they want to in convenient ways for their own elevation. And this leads to key point number three. Detractors of the faith manipulate with Scripture, leveraging it for their elevation and God's demotion. Detractors the faith manipulate with scripture, leveraging it for their own and God's demotion. And guys, Satan is a master of this. We see this in Genesis 3 with with Eve in the garden. We see this in Matthew 4 where Satan is quoting scripture to Jesus, trying to get him to commit suicide to bow down and worship him and give him the kingdom. He Satan is quoting scripture, but he's using bits and pieces to elevate him, to elevate his status and to demote God. Satan is a brethren, And Revelation 12:10 calls him this that he's constantly accusing God's faithful with accusations. You see this in Job. Satan comes before God and is like, the only reason why Job is, is worshiping you is because he's got it so good. You've protected him. And, and God allowed for Job to be attacked by Satan to to, to really prove, reprove, and, and to test and, and to show what was in Job's heart. And But Satan, the accuser, will ultimately be judged. Accusations that he brings against the saints will ultimately come to him. Verses 7 through 9, John 8, verses 7 through 9. The commission. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground and they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, out one by one, and beginning at the other, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. What I want to point out in this passage is that, notice that Jesus did not erase the law. Jesus did not say, well, you know, that was like, that was angry God. That was Old Testament, and like this new thing, that and it's grace. And that that's irrelevant. Like, notice that He didn't eradicate what Moses said. Jesus actually just took beyond those that the Pharisees were were bringing and it back to the accusers and saying, let him first cast a stone at her that is without sin. So he's he's, he's asking them to apply it to their own lives, not just to the woman that's been caught in adultery. The other thing that I think I I forgot to mention just in the last passage was, where was the guy that was caught in adultery? Right? Again, this, just kind of, this kind of shows they're picking and choosing because if we were really about fulfilling the law of Moses, both guilty parties, the woman and the man, would have been there brought to Jesus to be stoned. But that's not what they did. They only brought the woman. And, and so Jesus is taking the law and reflecting it and, and saying, where are you at with the law? Important uh, question that we need to be grappling with is where we're we at with the law, because it's easy to to go through the news and and to be flipping that or swiping that like you know there's another heinous uh, sex accusation in, in the government or in a business or there's um, you know that just did something uh, completely despicable and it's easy to. Kind of pick up them and, and to 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 be casting them at them, but we're we with God's law, okay Jesus said this in Matthew uh, five verse seventeen through eighteen, which is on the PowerPoint. Jesus said, Think not that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I'm not to destroy but to fulfill. Verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle, shall no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. So again, Jesus is not eradicating the law. He's not saying, that's irrelevant now. Jesus came to actually fulfill it. But Jesus got to the heart of the law, therefore raising the conviction to the heart motive. Okay, I want to say that again. Jesus got to the heart of the law, therefore raising the conviction to the heart motive, okay. It's kind of the, the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law. What is getting at ultimately? Um, you can get so focused on the trees and miss the forest. And this is what to say Matthew Matthew five verses twenty one through twenty two, which is on the PowerPoint. You have heard that it was said by them of old, "Thou shalt not kill." and whoever shall, shall kill be in danger of judgment but i say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of ju- judgment okay has anybody ever been angry with somebody else without a cause in this room okay cuz just <laughs> pointing to himself he's humble <laughs> We, I mean, this is, this is something that almost a daily basis right. <laughs> for most of us. Just drop away right. for a little bit. And then, right? Matthew five twenty-seven through 28. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Okay? Very relevant to the, to the, to the passage we're looking at. But I say to you that whosoever looketh on a woman us after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart ok go on a highway to trigger the anger just turn on the TV or open up your phone to like most social media platforms and you're going to find yourself in dangerous water pretty quick and, and so just these two passages alone raising the bar because up to this point, it was like, ah, you had to be caught in the act. You had to be caught in the act, brought before the Lord, and be dealt with. But Jesus is saying, God sees the heart. God sees those, those hidden, dark places that no one else knows. God sees that, and that's what God's judging. That's what God sees. So, key point number four is this. None will stand before the Lord righteous, without the saving grace of Jesus Christ. None will stand before the Lord righteous without the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Isaiah 64 6 says this, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. Romans 3 Verses 10-12. through As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of their way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Okay? This This is what God has declared of the world. This is what God has declared of those that are not in Christ. And if that bar wasn't set high enough, you know, even just thinking about those two hard examples, I would just also throw out Proverbs six, where it starts talking about considering the thing, uh, the things that God hates. There's actually that are an abomination to the Lord, and they're not what many people think. You know, we think about those big sins that um, that divides, but this is a couple of things that God hates. That are an abomination to him, a proud look. That's an abomination to the Lord. A proud look, a lying tongue, a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, a false witness. These are abominations to the Lord. And so, yes, we can look at that that adulterous woman. We can look at that um, uh, guy, <laughs> the news that that has done some. Uh, Abomination, and, and be like, I'm glad I'm not them. But these things that I just read, these are abominations to the Lord. Yeah. And these are things that we do on a daily basis. And then obviously the Ten Commandments. Just read through those. Exodus 20. And you'll very much, very quickly, if you have uh, any any amount of honesty within yourself, you'll know that you fall. Jesus said this. You know, seven. He talked about um, dealing with sin first before you deal with other people's sins. And he talked about how um, you know, you you look at the moment, you look at this little thing, this little sliver in somebody's eye, and you've got a beam in your own eye that you need to take care of, right? And we so often look at the sin in other people's lives and just like. Dude, they need to get right. They need to get right. But what are the beams that you're carrying? Those things are destructive, right? When you turn, they're knocking things over. <laughs> and then, you know, this one I think is is also just really telling Luke eighteen. Uh, Jesus is, is is telling a story about a Pharisee and a publican. And the Pharisee is going into the temple to worship and saying, Lord, thank you that you did not make me like those sinners. And I think as Christians, we so often have that attitude. You know, we've, we've, we've received the grace of God. We've been given so much equipping. The church, pastors, the Holy Ghost, God's Word accessible. Like, just all these things. And then we look at somebody that's not saved, that's doing something despicable, and we're like, well, thank, thank God I'm not like them. But in this story that Jesus is telling, the publican, who is this sinner, just comes before God in the temple worshiping. He's just beating his chest. And he's not saying, thank you for not making me like a sinner over there. He's saying, forgive me God, for I'm a sinner. The Lord draws near to a broken and contrite heart. And so what we're going to see... At bottom of this passage, in chapters 10, or verses 10 and 11, is, is the mercy of God. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? And she said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. And the most important thing in our lives, in terms of our identity and our status with God, is not what any accuser says, but what God has to say about our life. We see here that Jesus, who's been brought the law, has shown this woman, and been asked, "What do we? What are you going to do in this situation?" That Jesus does not condemn her and then gives her a charge to sin no more and this can this can be really hard to to think about because well did Jesus like just break the law then did Jesus what's happening here what ha- because the biblical thing would seem to be to execute on the law right but what we see is this key point number 5 okay with faith in Jesus Christ, our sins are forgiven. And there's some unlocks to this Jesus um, fulfilling the law um, and, and at times looking like he's maybe not executing on it um, with some verses earlier. So uh, grace, So John 1, 1-17 says this, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And this is what we need to know about Jesus. He's ultimately altogether different than any man because he's fully God and he's fully human and he was pure and spotless and blameless. And he had the power on earth to forgive sins. So Mark 2, 9 through 10, he had healed uh, a man sick of the palsy and he's being accused, er, he, re- he ruffled feathers of, of people of, of the religious leaders because he did it on the Sabbath again in their mind a breaking of the law breaking of the Sabbath but Jesus said this whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy thy sins be forgiven thee or to say arise take up thy bed and walk but that ye may know that the son of man hath power on earth to forgive sins he saith to the sick of the palsy stand up I think I forgot to include the second part of that verse Cliffhanger <laughs> <laughs> heals he heals the mistake of palsy and and makes them whole again and there's no condemnation and and, and this is how this applies you know for somebody that received um, the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, through faith in his death, burial, and resurrection it says this. Romans 8, 1-2, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. And so going back to that question that Jesus asked the woman, Where are those thine accusers? Where did they go? And when you're in Christ, you are no longer um, guilty of breaking the law because Christ paid the ultimate penalty for that. And so, a few things that I would just ask for all of us to to take to the Lord in prayer. Um, For anybody that's maybe watching this online or listening to this years from now, you might actually be, find yourself relating to the adulterous woman and you've done some despicable things or some stuff that you're shameful of and you maybe even have your own stones that you're casting at yourself or you feel it from others. And I just want to throw out there that, um, and, and, and plead that unless you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be judged for those sins. That God has to uphold His law because He's good and He's righteous and He's holy. And so there's a warning there that outside of Christ, you will be judged for those sins. Um, Some of us in this room, I include myself in this, we need to put down our stones because sometimes we're the ones accusing and judging others. And we're, we're ready to be casting stones on, on those that are lost in their sin. That, um, as the Ninevites were uh, described in Jonah, don't know their right hand from their left. And God needs somebody to to show them that grace and mercy and show them who Jesus is. That Jesus came to seek and save that was which was lost. And some of us have stones that we cast on ourselves. And, we've done some things that we're ashamed of, and we need to when when we fall into that trap of continually beating ourselves up over our past we're actually losing sight of what Jesus Christ has already finished on the cross and and so those that that is a lack of faith that's actually disobedience to be um, living in condemnation if if you've truly repented if you've truly Um, given that sin to the Lord and recognize that Jesus took that on the cross that's actually lack of faith and that's something we need to be repenting of and then some of us have just gotten away with some sins that we've never dealt with and and we need to understand that the safest thing that we can do is not stay in the darkness to not stay hidden but to take those things to the Lord that standing in the light, it's painful. When you're in darkness, like when you're in a cave for a long time, you come out, the light hurts. It actually, like you got to kind of, you know, shield your eyes because that light hurts. But ultimately, it's that light that heals, right? It's the light that brings life. And so, if there's any, um, as I was uh, teaching on this and as we were looking at these scriptures, if there's anything in the back of your mind that was just like, I don't know if I've ever really dealt with that, um, I just ask you to give that to the Lord today, that He's good. And um, I know that uh, Mitch and Michelle or um, other leaders in this class uh, would be happy to to listen to you, to, to love you through that, and and to help you um, in taking that to the Lord today. So I'm going to pray and we'll be dismissed. So, uh, Fathers, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace and truth. And thank you that um, we no longer stand accused um, when when we're in um, the the ark, the saving uh, faith of Jesus Christ. And Lord, pray that uh, we would live out a ministry of reconciliation to bring the lost to you, um, not for judgment, um, but Lord, that this is now the time to call out salvation to receive your grace and your mercy, and your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.